chapter 1, Ruth 1, we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab, and they continued there. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha, the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. Malon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the women the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Ruth is one of the most beautiful pieces of literature in all of the Bible. It gives us the details of a family that lived in Bethlehem, Judah, and left during a a time of famine. Now, the Bible does give us a few details. Elimelech was the husband's name, which means God is my king. Naomi, his wife, her name means pleasant. And here's what we see in this story. There's a man found right in the center of God's will with God as his king living here in Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread. Judah means praise. So in the place of praise and with a pleasant wife, you would think everything was perfect. How many like to have that kind of situation? They were also Ephrathites, which means fruitful. So that means they were in Canaan. They were bringing forth fruit in a fruitful land. But somehow, somewhere along the line, something went wrong. They evidently became careless. And we see an indifference to the things of God because they had two boys, Malon and Chilion. Malon means sick, Chilion means pining. Now, in Bible times, they didn't have baby book names and uh, they didn't have, now they actually have people. Their job as consultants is to help parents choose names for their children. But obviously, back in Bible times, naming children was much different because usually based on the circumstances or whatever they were living at the moment, that helped them decide on the name of that child. But I still, despite the circumstance, doubt I would name one of my children sickly and the other pining. Now, here's what I personally believe. Why in the world didn't they name their child Daniel or Judah or a good Bible name, but no, they named them sick and pining. And I believe actually it was the condition of their hearts. Although they were living in God's land with God's blessing in their hearts, they were becoming distant and sickly and pining for a new life, a change, what they thought was a better life. What they didn't realize is often the mind lies to us and we truly imagine that there's a perfect world out there and someone else is living it and I would like to be able to live in that perfect world. It just doesn't exist, not on this planet. This is where we find ourselves at verse 1. It says, now 
it came to pass in those days when the judges ruled that there was a famine. Believe it or not, there are famines that take place even in Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread. Now, it's here that we find them in a weakened, a spiritually weakened condition. And usually, it's a famine that reveals our Christianity. Or should I say, sometimes unravels our Christianity. Oh, how we like to shine when everything is going well. And we like to pine when everything is going poorly. So uh, she's walking around with sickly and pining. Melon and Chilean. Now, here's what happens. Tragedy's about ready to strike because in the midst of this crisis, what does Elimelech decide to do? Verse 2. Elimelech decides to head for Moab. Now, how many of you remember where Moab was located and who were the people of Moab, that great nation, but a nation of false gods, distant from God? That was the son, the son by incest that Lot had with his own daughter, Moab was right next to the promised land. So they weren't going to Egypt. It wasn't like they were turning their backs on God and going a long ways away. They were simply going one step out of God's will. And he said, here's what we're going to do. Let's go to Moab and look at their philosophy when they left. In verse 1, it says, when there was a famine, they went to sojourn. Here's what I've seen pastoring. Most people have no intention just to throw away everything good in their life and go to the world and lose their children. No, they think, I'm just going to distance myself. I'm just going to back up. I'm going to slack off. I, you know, I'm being so consumed by all these things and by ministry, by the work of God. Soul winning is taking up two hours of my week. I just can't afford that much time invested in the work of God. So they decided to back up, slack off, and I'm just going to take one step towards Moab. That's the way it always starts. And pastor, it's just six months. I'm just going to take a break. I'm just going to take a good look and get my, here's what they always tell me, get my priorities in order. You never get your priorities in order by going to Moab. It just doesn't happen that way. I rarely see church members jump straight from the church pew to Egypt. Go straight from the church to the world. They always go to Moab first because they can justify uh, that decision, that journey. There's only one problem. They went to sojourn, but what's the last phrase of verse 2 say? They continued uh, there. You know what happens normally when people decide to take a step back spiritually? They like the comfort. And they start to make it a lifestyle. Well, you know what, Pastor? I've freed up my Saturdays now that I can go soul winning. And that gives me family time. Preacher, you know, now that we've knocked devotions out of the way, that really gives us quality time in the evening. Just sit back and watch TV. And, and Preacher, you know, now that in everything they do that is wrong, unbiblical, Lacking principle is justified by now. It's just, it's really helped us as a family. 
Oh, it may at the moment. It won't long term in that is what we'll see here in this story. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, look with me in verse 3, what happened? He died. Look at the irony of the story. The man who was fleeing from Bethlehem, Judah, to save his life ran to his death. Isn't that ironic? And she was left with her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. Now, let me just say this. When you take those kind of steps as a leader in your home, and let me just say, women, I, I feel for women because, honestly, I don't believe this was Naomi's choice. I believe she was simply following the leadership in the direction of her husband. And she followed him, but she paid the consequence. But when, when he went, he probably had the intention of returning, staying for a few months. Uh, financially, he's thinking, this is a good decision. This will help me out. And, and immediately speaking in immediate terms, he was thinking about the physical, not the spiritual. And it probably did benefit his family the first six months or year that he was there on a financial level. But at some point, he began to see the deterioration. And let me just say this, although he might have had intentions of returning to God's will, and let me just make this clear, this was a departure from God's will. You don't have to go to Egypt to get out of God's will. Most Christians live in Moab. I don't want anything tough, rigorous, or that makes me... Crucify my flesh, as Brother Keith spoke this morning. Anything that make me present my body a living sacrifice. And here's what happened. His children never intended to leave Moab. Never intended to go back. That's why they married girls in Moab, Moabites. And look what the Bible says in verse 4. They dwelt there 10 years. You know what happens when people go to Moab? 10 years. Years later. Pastor, things are going well. Hey, you know, we left. It was, it was bad. Money was tight. You know, between missions and tithing and building fund and all the rest, money was just constantly tight. Now, you not believe the financial freedom we have. You not believe our Saturdays are free. You not believe everything that's going in our favor. Give us some time. In Ten Years later, now the men have married Moabites. The whole family is outside of God's will. Now, let me just say from start to finish, everything in this first chapter was a tragedy. The fact that they left Bethlehem, Judah, that's a tragedy. The fact that her husband died, that's a tragedy. The fact that those uh, two boys married Moabite women, that's a tragedy. Then those two boys, verse 5, Malon and Chilion, sickly and pining, they died uh, probably from sicknesses. <laughs> tragedy, tragedy, and sin is always tragic. So he thought he'd made a great decision, but years later he begins to pay the consequence. And worse than all, the woman, Naomi, is paying a consequence. You can see the years taking a toll on her because when she left, she went out full. When she left, she was named and called pleasant. Women, you got to focus on being pleasant. That would be a goal in life. Your husband would enjoy that. Your kids would enjoy that. The rest of the church would actually enjoy that. And it never hurts to smile. 
If that takes additional chocolate, we're good with that. But the years begin to take a toll on her, and we see that pleasantness was soon replaced by frustration and anger, and now the pain and the heartache, not just of having lost her husband, but now having lost her two sons. And knowing Orpah's heart, that she, she has other gods that she enjoys, another religion, other friends, probably not, she's not even saved, but she has no desire to be in Bethlehem, Judah. Look what the Bible says. Then her two boys died. Now I want you to see these three women as they stand out at the cemetery over three freshly dug graves. Now can you imagine Naomi? In one lays her husband, in the other two there are her two sons. And she grieves and no one can help her move past the pain. Not only is she grieving, but she's trying to comfort her two daughters-in-law. And every time she sees them, she's reminded of their bad decision to leave Bethlehem, Judah. She knows she's paying the consequence. And then she receives a letter. And then she receives a visit, and she begins to hear that the Lord had visited his people back in Bethlehem, Judah, and she begins to think, you know what? I can rectify this decision by going back. And she makes the first wise decision in a long, long time. She decides to go back to Bethlehem, Judah. Now, let me ask you this. What was her spiritual condition when she decides to return? It wasn't like she had repented, made things right, was now reestablishing a walk with God and determining to once again not only establish a relationship but to do the right thing. No, this was based on, you know what? My life possibly could get better there. All it's been over the past few years is heartache and tragedy and trial and problem. And I'm sick and tired of paying these consequences. Maybe, possibly, my life could be better there. Now, there are several reasons why we know her heart wasn't right at this point. There's no confession here. You know, when people make things right, this is the new and modern way, the Naomi way. Let's just look for an out. Let's not make things right with God. Let's not confess. Let's not uncover. Let's not dig out all the garbage and the trash. Let's not throw it out before God. Let's not say, God, you know what? I have made wrong decisions, and now I'm paying the consequence. And God, I want peace with you. No, there was none of that. There was simply a lady worn out, tired by the consequences of life and saying, if the Lord's visited his people back in Bethlehem, Judah, by giving them bread, let's go see if we go back. Now, here's an, there's another reason why we know her heart wasn't right. Because when her two daughters-in-law said, let's return with her, she tried to talk them out of going. Why would you do that? Why would someone, if they were in a good spiritual state of mind, knowing, okay, Life has become a disaster. We've, we've 
departed from God, our relationship with God ended years ago. We've made some mistakes. We've made some bad decisions. We've paid and are paying the consequences. You would think that she'd say, hey, listen, I made a horrific mistake, and the best way to rectify that is for us to get our things together, and let's go back and seek to please God. Let's confess. Let's make things right, and let's see what God can do. Surely God can remedy and rectify our situation. But no, when these two said we want to go with you. Look what she says. Verse 11, Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Naomi, give them hope. Lead them in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Take them from their false gods. Get them out of a cursed land. Are there yet any more sons in my womb that ye may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way. Look what she says. I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope. She said, listen, I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm in a hopeless situation. Don't join up with me. It's hopeless. Turn back. Wow, what type of Christianity had she sunk to? Her new level, her new norm was simply survival. I'm miserable, I'm sick, I'm tired. It's amazing, it's pitiful how many Christians have sunk to this level. Because listen, in order to experience the joy of Jesus in the Christian life, it's full throttle. I mean, if you truly are going to know the joy of living for God, you have to have a relationship with him. Joy comes through winning souls. Joy comes through discipleship. Most Christians don't know joy because they don't understand how to experience the joy of the Christian life. They come to church and they fill a pew and they sit there and say, this isn't very joyful. And they give the minimum that they can possibly give. And usually they're off from God. They say, this isn't joyful. No. None of that is the joyful Christian life. The Christian life is presenting yourself a living sacrifice saying, God, take me, use me. I want you to use all of my life, all of my being. But most Christians are just trying to get by and expecting that to be joyful, a joyful Christian life. Not so. She's miserable. She's making her two daughters-in-law miserable. And... Verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Orpha is tight with the apostate. She's going back. She's going back to her gods. The next verse says, verse 15, she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gotten back unto her people and unto her gods. And here's what happens. When people leave a church environment and go back, that's exactly what they're choosing. They're choosing their people because God's people are not their people. And Jehovah God is not their God. Their gods are the things of this world. And they made a choice. My preference is out there. This is the apostate. Go back. Let me ask you this. Go back to what? Pastor, have you ever been tempted to go back? No. Never, I'll be honest with you, never, ever, have I ever been tempted to go back. Go back to what? Rapture? Now that sounds great. Go to heaven? That sounds beautiful. But go back? 
you've got to be kidding me. I, I can't comprehend. I can't understand. I can't believe someone would get born again, born again, child of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit and going back. I have a hard time comprehending that. I think that is someone who came, assimilated, got tired of faking it, and gave up. She goes back to her God because Jehovah was never her God. But not Ruth, verse 16. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people should be my people. Thy God, my God. Listen, she was making some decisions here. She was walking away from everything she ever knew. And she said, I'm choosing my path. I'm choosing my direction. I'm choosing my God. I'm choosing this until death. She's making a commitment that's going to last a lifetime. Matter of fact, she said, I'm choosing my burial. It'll be a Christian burial. Boy, if we get some Christians to make this kind of commitment. I'm not in this for a few weeks. I'm not, even when you jump into a ministry, whatever you jump into, boy, Christians are so quick to jump in and jump out. She said, I am making a choice right now that's a lifetime choice. And wherever you're headed, listen, you ought to find someone going the right direction and latch on. Some of you aren't going to make it if you don't. I don't think Ruth would have ever made it on her own. Naomi wasn't even a good Christian, but she knew Naomi was going the right direction. Naomi was going back to Bethlehem, Judah, and she said, because you're going the right direction, I want to tag along and go the right direction too. You got to get a hold of someone that's, that has their focus set and their purpose determined, their convictions in concrete. They're set in the Christian life and say, listen, when you see me stumble, when you see me bumble, when you see me falling down, latch onto me, drag me forward, pick me up, pull me along, help me out. I want to make sure that I don't quit along the way. She made a commitment. She said, I don't care. If Orpha goes back, what happens? Whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people should be my people. Thy God, my God, where thou diest, will I die? And there will I be buried. I like that. I'm going to ask commitment. That is a determination. Now look what the Bible says about her in verse 18. When she saw, when Naomi saw that Ruth was what? Steadfastly minded. Oh, here's what we need in Christianity. Some people that are steadfast. Fastly minded. Folks, you're going to give up. You're going to quit some point if you don't get steadfastly minded. You're going to hit some speed bumps. You're going to have some trials. You're going to hit famine. You're going to have headaches and heartaches and problems and things you don't understand. And here's what happens in the middle of tragedy. Did you know tragedy, the first thing we do, we ask this question, God, where are you? She wasn't asking this just at the end of the chapter. She was asking this when they left Bethlehem, Judah. God, where are you? God was right there in Bethlehem, Judah. And God would have met their needs. And when they come back, here's the amazing thing. When they decide to go back before they even have a need, God has already prepared someone to meet that need. God already in his sovereignty had everything in place. Matter of fact, God already had a plan. And while she's crying out and wondering and asking the question, God, where are you at in all this? 
God said, I've got a really good plan. Boy, if you could only see it. But you can't. So just do what you're supposed to do and be where you're supposed to be. Uh, here's what I like. I like a story with a good ending. How many of you ever read a book or watched a movie and you're waiting for a good ending and it didn't have one? And you thought, what was that? I just wasted my time and the good guy got killed? You've got to be kidding me. Tell me a story where the, the good guy triumphs and the bad guy meets judgment and consequence and the things are rectified, amen? You want to see someone with a cape? You want to see a miraculous ending? You want the good guy to live? And here's what we have, a real-life story with a good ending. You just don't see it yet. So she begins to head back. These two walk back. Now, Naomi has changed in the past 10 years. Remember this sweet and pleasant lady who used to not just smile, but bring a smile to everyone's face, who was known as Miss Pleasant. Now, after having paid 10 years the consequences of bad decisions, you can see it on her face. She came back with a face full of consequences. That pleasantness was gone. And now she had suffered and cried and lived frustrated and heartbroken. And you can see it now on her face. There wasn't a sparkle in her eye. There was a hollowness you could just see in the depths of her soul, verse 19. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved. Look at this. Her body language, her face, sin had so scarred her, those decisions and the pain of bad decisions had so marked her, that city that knew her as pleasant now came out and asked, is this Naomi? That's what a life of consequences away from God will do to you. It'll age you prematurely. It'll mark you. Did you know beauty didn't happen at birth? Beautiful people are people that walk with God and have the joy of Jesus in their soul. You take a beautiful person with worldly beauty and you put trouble in their life and you suck the beauty right out of their being. Here was a woman that was known in the city as a loving, pleasant, charming person. And 10 years later, 10 years! How much does a person age in 10 years? 10 years later, the city was moved and said, is this the same person? Now remember, names meant much more back in Bible times than they do today. So when they looked at her, they said, is this pleasantness? And she said to them, call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. You know what that means. Call me bitterness, bitterness of soul. Now, look at how she speaks. Here's how we know she didn't come back in good spiritual condition. Number one, 
she never confessed. Number two, she tried to talk her daughter-in-law out of going with her. I believe part of that was she didn't want the daily reminder of her bad decisions. And every day that she looked at those two Moabitess girls, she knew I made some bad decisions. I'm still paying the consequences. And this is what ought to motivate us to make good decisions, knowing those bad decisions don't just evaporate into thin air. Those consequences are multiplied with time, not diminished. And she's saying, if you just stay back, maybe I won't have to face the consequences of my bad decisions every day. But Ruth goes back, and here's what she says. Look at the way she refers to God, her God. She says, the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Let me ask you the truth behind those words. When she left, God had met her every need. Her husband was named God, my provider, my king. She was called pleasant. It was Naomi that called her children sickly and pining. But she left the house of bread, a place of praise, and she even says in the next verse, I left full. Guess what? Here's what Satan will do. Satan will so play with your mind. When you get out of God's will, you're, you're convinced you're at the end of your rope. You're at the end of the line. You're hurting. Your, your trouble is too sore, too grievous to overcome. And looking back in hindsight, she said, boy, my life was good and I left full. She's bitter. And this is bitterness speaking and God, listen, God had a plan and God was still sovereign and God was still on the throne and amazing things are going to happen in this story with an amazing ending. But despite what God was doing, instead of looking at herself, instead of saying, I made bad decisions and I want God's help to rectify this, no, she's pointing the finger and saying, God hath dealt bitterly with me. It's amazing. Here's what's amazing. The stubbornness of man never insisting or never even admitting that he was wrong and bad decisions were made, but rather always pointing the finger at God as if God had forced them out of the house of bread and away from the place of praise and he had destroyed that pleasantness. No, it was Naomi and Elimelech and those bad decisions that had caught up with them. She says the Almighty dealt very bitterly with me. No, the consequences of your bad decision have dealt very bitterly with you. She said, I went out full. And look what she says. The Lord, the Lord's at fault. The Lord hath brought me home again empty. The Lord's emptied out my pockets. Why then call ye me, Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me? The Almighty these are the words and the thoughts of a very bitter person. The Almighty hath afflicted me. Let me ask you this. Had the Almighty afflicted her? No. This is why you ought to be so careful and so cautious and say, I cannot live according to the desires of my flesh. I cannot live controlled by doubt. 
I have to be careful that my life is based on principle and guided by the Holy Spirit, that every decision is pleasing to Him because I'm not going to live for two days or two months or ten years. But if life is extended, my children grow up, I get to pay the consequence. My family gets to pay the consequence. My marriage will pay the consequence. And every life that I touch will pay the consequence of my bad decisions. So I better be extremely careful that in a moment of grief, in a moment of need, in a moment of famine, I don't make a bad decision. Oh, how few decisions I've seen in the ministry people make based on the word of God. Normally they're based upon financial gain. 99% of the time, the very foundation of that decision was finances. Never turns out well. Never does. So Naomi returned. A bitter, bitter person. But, wait a minute. Why is she so sad? Why is she so disturbed? Let me ask you this. Naomi, hold on for a minute. You still have life. That's more than your husband and two sons. You still have opportunity. You still have Bethlehem Judah. You still have Ruth. Think about that. Now, later in the story, we'll see the benefit of having Ruth, but you still have a lot in your favor, and more than anything, you still have Almighty God. Although you're throwing Him under the bus, although you're complaining, although you're saying it's God's fault and God who is afflicting you, uh, you better be thankful, Naomi, you still have a God in heaven concerned about you, knowing your need and providing. He's already provided a solution before you even step back into town. He said, you go back, I'll take care of this. Verse 22, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, they came to Bethlehem in the beginning. Look what the Bible says. What a coincidence. In the beginning of the barley harvest. And we read in chapter 2, verse 1, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech. And his name was Boaz. God already had a plan in motion. God was already working in her favor. Aren't you glad, knowing the mistakes you've made, that you turn back, attempt to go the right way, try to make things right, God will work in your favor? She was not even in any kind of decent spiritual condition at this point and God was still working in her favor. She wasn't even repentant. She was not even trying, uh, attempting really to help Ruth on a spiritual level. She didn't even want Ruth with her. She comes back with a sour face and says from now on, don't even refer to me as Miss Pleasant. You just refer to me and call me bitter. When you see me, just say, howdy bitter. That'll work because I am bitter and I want the world to know it. Now, no one did. We don't see it in the book. We don't see it in the Bible. But she said she was so spewing bitterness. She said, 
When you see me, you might as well call me bitter. Now, let me ask you this. God had no obligation, but God said, Ruth, Naomi, I'm going to help you too. And here's what we're going to see, the love and mercy of God shining all over these two in their pitiful, pitiful, absolutely pitiful condition. When God should have said, you know what, you disobeyed, you left, you turned your back on me. You never even confessed. But no. He said, let me help you out. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go chapter by chapter. But I always, when I read the first chapter, like to skip to the end. How many like to do that? A few of you? Well, for those of you who don't like the end, and now you can go to sleep while the rest of us skip right to the end of the story. Go with me to Ruth chapter 4. We're going to fast forward to chapter 4, verse 13. Boaz ends up taking Ruth as his wife and gave her conception. She bears a son, verse 14, and the women said, now who just bore a son? Ruth. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. Then he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons had borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became a nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name saying, There is a son born to who? Hold on for a second. This, did you get that? Read what the scripture says. The women didn't say, Ruth, what a beautiful baby. They came to Miss Bitter's house and said, Miss Bitter, no. Look at how they spoke to her. They came and said, Miss Pleasant, what a beautiful baby God has given you. That's the mercy and loving kindness of God. She didn't deserve any of this. She just was put in the lineage of Christ. Matter of fact, she had a king just two generations away. Ruth may have walked in the palace. Listen, Naomi, the same woman beaten up by bad decisions, the same woman whose face red bitter came back and God said, would you just smile for a minute? Could you trust me for a second? Would you relax and breathe and just say that I am sovereign? No, no, we're too beat up and we can't see as far ahead as he sees and we say, life has been cruel to me and I have it bad. I wish someone would come over here and pout with me for a little while. And you make a few phone calls and try to find someone who will sit down and pout with you for a few hours. And God says, if you would suck up that lower lip and dry up those tears and calm your heart, I want you to know I got a kinsman redeemer. I want you to know I got a man with a field. I want you to know I've got a husband for Ruth. I want you to know I have a baby on the way. I want you to know that great, great grandson's going to be David the king. I want you to know you're in the lineage of the Messiah. 
I want you to sit down and put a smile on your face and stop all the pouting because your life's not as bad as you think. I've got a good thing going. You don't. You done mess this up a half a dozen times. Now, here's what I want you to do. Stop messing it up. Just stay put, stay calm, smile, and let me fix this. Boy, did he ever fix it. Look what it says. Naomi took that child, laid it in her bosom. She became the nurse unto it. And the women said to her, a son is born to Miss Pleasant. They called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. God fixes things, doesn't he? We just have a hard time understanding because we see the mess. And we're pretty good at making messes. And then getting all bitter about the mess we made, but we never point the finger at ourselves. We seemingly always find a way to point it at God and question, what are you doing? And God says, what are you doing? And Ruth had enough faith to say, I'm just going to head in the right direction. Because I already know heading the wrong direction has cost me a lot. I think I'm just going to go the right direction and see what God does with my life. Boy, did that ever pan out well. And I promise you, God has a plan and a purpose and is perfect. And if you leave Bethlehem, Judah, and you walk out of his will, You'll age 30 years and 10. You'll question God and end up bitter. The best thing you can do is say, I don't plan on living a day in Moab. Not a moment. I'll live for God. Do right. And ask yourself the question Job asked in Job 9.4. Who hath hardened himself against God and hath prospered? You know the answer to that question. No one. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.